0: The attempt to express our feelings and our desires in words usually fail us. The Bible itself, indeed, Song of Solomon, talks about love sickness. How do you express that? Now, if you've got a fever and a high temperature, you can say, well, I feel shivery, I feel whatever. But how do you express that you're lovesick? Have you ever seen someone and you just know that they've just fallen in love. They've been smitten with lovesickness. Welcome again to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Gollerher, and today we're in Song of Solomon again. No spot in thee, that's the, the groom's testimony concerning his bride and the Lord's testimony concerning his church. Our question today is, in the book of Romans, why is Peter not mentioned in this book? And uh, because we have very limited time just to get into this, I really want to pose the question. And it is asserted that uh, Peter was the first bishop of Rome, and there are many claims by denominations, Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, that their church goes all the way back to Peter. Well, what if we could establish that Peter was never there? And one of the big things that throws a spanner in the works to that thinking is that Peter is not mentioned at all in this book of Romans. Exceeding strange, isn't it, that for all the claims that are made concerning Peter being the first bishop of the church at Rome, and then all the the bishops or popes that—and that's not a biblical word, by the way, you'll never find the word pope in the Bible. Uh, and all these religious leaders that claim a dynasty, a succession of leadership, right all the way back to Peter, but then we don't even read of Peter in this book. Why not? Well, uh, there are some very good reasons, and uh, I'll ask you to think hard about that until tomorrow. But today, we're turning to this Song of Solomon, where the groom says to the bride, there is no spot in We see all the endearment, and we're going to look at seven things that are stated here about the bride, in which the groom delights. And then we'll have a look at the profession of a spotless church. Now, we have the profession of the Lord about you and me. He sees no spot in us. And as we come to the communion table, we're making a profession of our love for him, And we're going to take the cup and bread not to say, Lord, I've never sinned, but, Lord, I know that because of my union with you, I am made right. So let's get to the possibility of the bride, the church, being spotless. Well, you'll notice how this chapter begins. Behold! It's amazing! This is absolutely a shocking surprise. How can it be? And then he says, thou art fair. Thou art beautiful. And he says it twice over there in verse 1, and he comes back to it again in verse 7. Thou art all fair. There is no part of the bride that is not lovely in the eyes of the the Lord. How can this be? Well, it is in the eyes of the groom, as he looks upon his bride, and the bride now belongs to him." Now, this is all very interesting stuff until you come to the the great requirement as a preacher. You want to be true to the Bible. You want to be true to the gospel. And here's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to let you know the shift now. I'm going to try and open this up for you to understand what I'm doing. I'm going to take this picture in Song of Solomon 4. And I'm going to jump outside of this passage. And I'm going to take you away over to the great statements of the Bible about Christ the bride loving the church. And I'm going to show you that the language that is here is in keeping with what the language of the New Testament is about Christ and his church. Let's look at Ephesians 5 and verse 27. And I take this as my mandate to interpret, to make the determination that this Song of Solomon is a picture of the church. It's more than just marital relations— It is a picture of the Lord and the church. That's why it's in the Bible. That's why it's given here for us. And if you read the language in Ephesians 5.27, you have the Lord who cleanses, washes the church by the water and word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot. Isn't this amazing? I have to wonder, did Paul the Apostle read Song of Solomon? course he did. He knew it. Now, we're, we're not told that he's quoting from it, but he certainly got the identical language right here. And he says, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing. How is this possible? How is it possible? And of course, it's in the context of Christ's death. Oh, it's in dealing with Christ who— gave himself for the church. And he says, husbands, love your wives. In fact, in verse 25, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. And it is possible for the bride to have no spot, because the groom, the Lord Jesus, went to the cross, and he died. And by virtue of his death, by the value of his sacrifice, by the cleansing of his blood, the church, the bride, is made to be without spot. This is the gospel— And this is about your state and my state because I'm a Christian, because we have given ourselves by faith to claim what our Lord did on that cross for our salvation. And therefore, I can take this cup and bread and say, Yes, Lord, I receive the gift of salvation, and I rejoice that in your eyes I have no spot. Made right, perfectly righteous in God's sight. Now, another like passage, like language, is in the book of Jude, that little book before the book of Revelation, Jude, and verse 24. This is like a doxology. It's an item of praise in Jude's closing of the book, and he says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling, verse 24, and to present you faultless, before the presence of his glory, with exceeding joy. Now, let's go back to one verse. And others, saved with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Like language, and then faultless. And people say, how is it possible? How is it at all possible? And this really is the language of the gospel. It is that fact that the Lord, by his death, by his work for us, he makes us righteous. And this declaring us to be without spot is the declarative righteousness of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's legal language. When we say declarative, it means that the judge declares pronounces you to be free from all sin, all charge, all accusation. And you have that statement of Paul and in Romans eight thirty three, who shall lay any charge to God's elect? It is Christ that died. There is no spot in you in the Lord's sight if you're a Christian, if you're saved. If you are washed in the blood of Jesus, there's, the Lord sees you under that blood, and he accepts you so. Now, I could go on, of course, to preach the gospel on this. I could expand on the, the whole matter of justification, and the book of Romans and Galatians is all about this. How can a man be just with God? And you may say, but how can the Lord say this? Because I don't feel sinless. I don't feel that I qualify. I look at my own life and I see the failures. I know my own sin. That's why this is called declarative. It's a legal declaration. But while you are in the flesh in this world, you will battle with sin, sin within, sin without. There is within you yet a carnal nature that needs the victory over sin. But when the Lord looks upon you clothed in his righteousness, he declares you to be spotless, perfect. And in that way, he enjoys fellowship, and he enjoys the company of the bride. That brings me to the pleasure of the king or the groom with his spotless bride or lift the language to the Lord with his church. There are seven things, as I mentioned, and maybe you want to underline these, because I'm never going to preach them all, but I'm going to itemize them, and I want you to look for them here, and you might want to take your pen and just mark them, underline these things. In verse 1, you have dove's eyes. That's the first thing. Thou hast dove's eyes within thy locks. Now, the locks are a veal. They refer to the veal. And here, the groom notices the eyes of his beloved. And they are eyes of innocency, the the dove's eyes, the eyes that are modest. And perhaps they are even looking through the veil, and the veil speaks of that modesty, that readiness of surrender and submission and devotion to her new husband what a beautiful picture of the church. Thou hast dove's eyes. You are in that place of innocency. You you, you haven't got a wandering eye. You're not looking to another. There is devotion, submission, surrender in your heart to your Lord. Then also, in verse 1, thy hair is as a flock of goats— Now, we need to be careful with this language. Don't put that on a Valentine's card. Uh, You'll get yourself in trouble, man, if you do that. Uh, What what this is referring to here, uh, of course, is a woman's hair is her glory. Most women are very particular about their hair. That's why some ladies don't like wearing hats. I'll end up with hat hair. Uh, And it becomes a problem. The hair is a woman's glory. And it says here, thy hair is as a flock of goats. Now I've read and i have researched all I possibly can on, you know, is this speaking to the color here? Is it and some says no, these are white goats or yellow goats or black goats? Is this referring to the color of the hair? And I'm gonna put my I'm gonna put my marker on the black. I'm gonna suggest this reference, her hair as a as a flock of goats, is the dark color of her hair. I don't know of many Jewesses with blonde hair, or white hair, but black hair seems to fit. And so the groom comments on the very glory of the bride and refers to her as that flock of goats. He takes notice. He takes notice. Then, lay we have, Thy teeth are like a flock of sheep. Uh, so we have eyes, hair, verse 2. Now we have teeth. Thy teeth are like a, a flock of sheep. And, of course, white is, is the color here, for sure, because these sheep are not only just sheep, they're shorn sheep, and they're washed sheep. And, of course, the beauty of anyone's teeth is their whiteness. And so he gazes upon his bride and he sees the the white, healthy, uh, shining teeth of his bride. They are as an adornment. Now, I'm not going to go where some commentators go and they say, you know, teeth are for chewing, and therefore, you know, this bride is feeding on the Bible and real Bible student and so on. I'm not going to go down those little avenues. I'm just going to build the big picture of these seven items that impresses the groom. The next one, thy lips, verse 3, thy lips are like a red scarlet. Red, of course, is that ruddy healthful appearance. Uh, They are lips that uh, attract. They are lips that shine. They are lips that please. And here is this groom commenting on the lips of his bride. Then her temples are mentioned in verse 3. Now, the reference to to the, the lips as scarlet, they are red color. They are that color that attracts. Then also, the temples are like a piece of pomegranate, and the pomegranate usually is is like red or a blush color. And no doubt, a bride may adorn herself and enhance herself with that blush that gives her that dark red color. And so, the the groom takes note of this. Verse 4, thy neck— this is number six now, thy neck is like the Tower of David. Well, maybe you'll help me to explain this one. How are we going to even understand what that means? Some suggest that the Tower of David was an outstanding place. It was like a a pillar where the soldiers were on guard. It's a neck of confidence. It's a neck that uh, is certainly standing out. it, It is admirable. And he takes note. And then, number seven, and we come to verse five Thy two breasts are like two young rows. And I thought, oh boy, how am I going to speak on this? And I thought on Dr. S.H. Toh in Singapore, who, when he was speaking on uh, courtship, and he talked about. Young girls, when they develop what he called mammary glands, God's gift to women to nurture children, and of course, they are a symbol of her womanhood. And no doubt, Solomon, the bride, the groom, he noted uh, his bride's breasts proper. If he didn't, what kind of a husband would he be? If he didn't have an interest or note the the beauty of his bride in all her facets, well, she would be greatly disappointed. Now, we as a church, we as Christians, the Lord sees every aspect of our lives. He knows us inside out. He knows our hearts. He knows our minds. He knows our appearance. And really what what is happening here, you have these seven items, the number of perfection, and then the summary of them in verse 7. Thou art all fair, my love. There is no spot in thee. Thou art all beautiful. And you see the pleasure that the king, the groom, takes in his bride. Now, lift us up to the higher level of Christ and his church. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. This is something that ought to thrill our hearts today. The Lord takes delight in his people. There's a verse in Isaiah 46. that says, I bring near my righteousness, it shall not be far off, and my salvation shall not tarry. I will place salvation in Zion, for Israel my glory… And the beauty of the bride brings glory to the groom or to the king. And when our Lord Jesus presents the church, spotless, pure, and holy, to his Father, it will bring glory and honor to his name and to his heart. The church is for the Lord's glory. It brings pleasure to him. And as you come to church, as you come through the doors of this church, take your seat, take the hymnal, engage in prayer, praise, and hear and feed on his word, and, and show your faith unto him. What are you doing? You're bringing pleasure to the Lord. Think on that. When you stay home and watch television, that doesn't bring pleasure to the Lord. But when his church gathers, when we engage in worship, when we exalt the name of Jesus, and you become part of that corporate praise, the body, the bride, praising the groom, then it brings wonderful, wonderful pleasure to his heart and to his name. You would say, Ian, can you show me that? You you might say, well, generally, I, I accept that. But could you show it to me in the Bible? Let's go to John 17 and let's look. I'm just going to read the, this passage. I'm going to just show you, in the terms of, of our Lord praying, how He took such pleasure in His people. John 17, verse 13 And now I come to Thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil." They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word. That they all may be one. Here's Jesus praying for his church, his bride. That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou and me, and they may be made perfect in one. Notice the word perfect. That just jumped out at me as I read this. And that the world may know that Thou hast sent me and has loved them, as I, as Thou hast loved me, Father. I will that they also whom Thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which Thou hast given me, for Thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known that Thou hast sent me. And I have declared unto them thy name and will declare it. And here's here's the, the punch now. That the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them. You see, when you're a Christian, you are united to the Lord as a spouse, as a bride to a groom, and you're one in Christ. One in Christ. And as the Father loves the Son, he takes now that bride, and he loves the church with the same love, that thou hast loved me, baby, in them, and I in them. So there is the marvelous pleasure that the Lord takes in his church, his bride. Now you need to apply that to your heart, and I need to apply that to my heart. We need to come to this table today in very practical, real terms, taking this cup and bread, visible signs, and know that as we do so as a Christian, as a believer in the Lord Jesus, that the Lord is taking pleasure in us, eating and drinking worthily, worthily because we're focusing on our Lord Jesus, our our marriage union to him, our standing in Him our justification in him, that we are rendered righteous and spotless. And the Lord wants you to enjoy that standing. The Lord wants you to know you're loved. That's why it's all over the Bible. It's not just in Song of Solomon. It's, it, it, it's, it's read all, almost on every page of the Bible, the love of the Lord for your soul. And he wants you to know he has ordained this table that you might remember. Remember his death, remember his love for you. And if you're going to eat and drink worthily, you must be engaged. You must comprehend, to some degree, the measure of love the Lord has for your soul. Do you feel it? Do you enjoy it? Let's not come to this table today with a burden of guilt. Guilt is never a motivator in the gospel. It is the love of Christ that must motivate us. We are rejoicing today because out of all our poverty and our emptiness, Christ has received us. We are his by faith. And that brings me to the profession, the profession of the spotless church. That's what we're doing as we take this communion today. We're making a profession. We're declaring that we belong to Jesus and he belongs to us, and all that he has accomplished on the cross is ours by faith personally, yours and mine. It's not something that's distant. It's real. It's personal. It's ours. We have received it, and we sing the song, Jesus Loves Me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's it. It's beautifully simple, but how wonderful It really is. And it's the Lord's profession for us, but now it's your profession for him. And I want to end on this note. I want you to make the profession that you are receiving, enjoying, the love of the Lord to your soul. Here is the bride. She has taken a husband, and he has taken her. And as you go on down through this chapter, he invites her, come, leave Lebanon, come. And she's to leave everything, be joined to her beloved, and enjoy his love for her. That's what a Christian does. That's what we do as God's people. We just enjoy the love of our Lord. Let's sing that hymn together, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. 719. 719, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. 719. Shall we stand to sing this now? is Pastor Ian Golliher. Call me please at 604-897-2040. For all the details of our broadcasts across Canada, go to ltbs.ca.
1: This broadcast comes to you today from the Free Presbyterian Church in Cloverdale, located at 18790 58th Avenue, Surrey, at the corner of 188th Street and 58th Avenue. Our website is cloverdealfpc.ca and there you can find gospel articles, links to our sermons, a gospel booklet called A New Beginning and a link to watch our services online. You're warmly invited to attend any of our Sunday services at 10.30am and 6pm to meet with us as we worship God and to hear the preaching of His precious Word. We also meet for Bible study and prayer every Wednesday evening at 7.30 p.m. Our Sunday School for Children and Adult Bible Class meet every Lord's Day at 9.30 a.m. from September to June. You can contact us at 604-567-1091. Alternatively, you can email me at pastor.cloverdealfpc at gmail.com. Again, for all this information, please visit our website at cloverdealfpc.ca. Our burden is that you will hear and understand the gospel that will bring you to know the Lord Jesus Christ and his great salvation. This is Pastor Andrew Fitton. Thank you for listening today. And be sure to listen Monday to Friday at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. And on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. for our one-hour church service as we worship the Lord through the ministry of his word.